Hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Chris Cast. I'm your host, Chris. Joining me once again by Facebook Messenger is Paul. Say hello, Paul. Hello, Paul. Right off the bat, I'm going to start out with some good news stories this week. This is from NPR.org. Mackenzie Scott is giving away another $2.7 billion to 286 organizations. I saw that. Now, this is the ex-wife of Jeff Bezos. And says so she has so far given away more than eight billion dollars in three rounds of funding revealed in the same manner. Her net worth is estimated to be nearly sixty billion dollars. In her divorce from Bezos, Scott received a four percent stake in Amazon, but shares of the company's stock rose sharply during the pandemic, and despite giving away billions, Scott's wealth keeps growing. Her net worth estimated at thirty six point one billion dollars in October two thousand nineteen has increased by some $23 billion since then. So, here's another case of somebody having and more money than they can her, ever spend. What was her stake in the business again? 4%. 4%? She's making that kind of money? Damn! Yeah, but it's again, someone with more money they can ever spend and actually doing something good with it. So... Can't say that I'm thrilled with the the politics of the company all the time, but at least they seem to be pretty charitable, both her and Jeff Bezos. So I gotta give yeah, them. I mean, at least they are the giving back, you know. And the next story I have is from GoodMorningAmerica.com. I don't know if you saw this. It was eight-year-old sold his Pokemon cards on a roadside stand. To raise oh. money to pay for his dog's vet, vet bill. It was a, a four-month-old lab mix that had been diagnosed with Parvo. And they couldn't afford the treatment. The article says the cost of treatment was estimated at $655, possibly higher depending on the actual procedure. The family couldn't afford it. Woodruff's husband works, but she's in school and cares for their three kids. So... He, who was apparently a huge Pokemon fan, went to sell his Pokemon cards to raise money for it. And they also, I saw on the news that they had set up a GoFundMe as well and raised over $20,000. The article says 21000 I believe on the news they said they were up to over $26,000. The original goal was just eight hundred dollars. Also, because of what this kid did, somebody in the Pokemon company got him rare cards and sent them to him to replace some of what he lost. Are you freaking kidding me? No, it's oh my gosh. it's one of those things where it's just a a domino effect of goodness and. They, just, I've got tears in my eyes. This is so sweet. They said that the the money they had extra from what they raised on the GoFundMe page, they were going to use to help other animals in the same kind of situation. Oh. So, a whole lot of good so in this story. And yes. the dog is adorable. It's a black lab mix, and it's just an adorable dog. So. Aww. And the kid obviously loved his dog, and... 
anybody who's had a dog knows the love of a dog is immeasurable. So, oh yeah. But the the picture right at the start is the kid. He's got glasses on. His mask is down below his mouth, and he's in the car, and the dog has a bow tie on, and he's hugging the dog there in the front seat. So. Definitely a great story that I had to share. And next up we have the from fizz.org, the vegan spider silk provides sustainable alternative to single-use plastics. This is another great story because these break down easier than what traditional plastics do. The the article now, what reads, kind of what? Spider, it's vegan spider silk. The article What's reads, a vegan spider? Well, if you would quit interrupting me, I'm about to read you what the article says. It's not a vegan oh. spider, it's vegan spider silk. There's a difference there. But it okay, says, I thought I didn't know spiders ate vegetables, but go ahead. It says, researchers have created a plant-based, sustainable, scalable material that can replace single-use plastics in many consumer products. The researchers from the University of Cambridge created a polymer film by mimicking the properties of spider silk, one of the strongest materials in nature. The, moon, the new material is as strong as many common plastics in use today and could replace plastic in many common household products. The material was created using a new approach for assembling plant proteins into materials which mimic silk on a molecular level. The energy-efficient method which uses sustainable ingredients, results in a plastic-like freestanding film, which can be made at industrial scale, non-fading structural color can be added to the polymer, and it can also be used to make water-resistant coatings. The material is home compostable, whereas other types of bioplastics require industrial composting facilities to degrade. In addition, the Cambridge-developed material requires no chemical modifications to its natural building blocks so that it can safely degrade in most natural environments. So, all kinds of wind there. Yeah, but what's the cost of it? I don't believe they've got a cost estimate yet, but my guess is probably not much more than traditional plastics. So, Do they have a projected market date for this, or is it still in testing? No, I'm not seeing one, but I'm, it's a fairly long article. I don't want to read the whole thing on here, but um, yeah, I'm, the, this is the culmination of something we've been working on for over 10 years, which is understanding how nature generates materials from proteins. We didn't set out to solve the sustainability challenge. We were motivated by curiosity as to how to create strong materials from weak interactions. Okay, so they spent millions of dollars on this then. Yeah, it, there's no... For ten, year, for 10 years of research, they spent a lot of money on that. Well, it depends on how much it costs to do it. It's not necessarily, but it could be a lot. But anyways, it's still something that breaks down faster and will help curb the impact of our plastics on the environment. So, so good. Lots of good in that. So good, so good the white trash 
will not feel so bad when they throw their trash out the window then. You know, they'll still not give a rat's butt, but that's beside the point. And next is a story that came out earlier tonight. I don't know if you saw it, but it really shocked me. This is from NPR.org. Senate unanimously approves a bill to make Juneteenth a public holiday. The Senate unanimously approved a bill Tuesday that would make Juneteenth the date commemorating the end of... I'm not sure how you pronounce it. C-H-A-T-T-E-L slavery in the United States. A legal public holiday. The holiday is celebrated on June 19th and it began in 1865 when enslaved people in Texas learned they had been freed under the Emancipation Proclamation. And honestly, Juneteenth is a very important date to take consideration of. I mean, it's the date that we started moving away from owning people. Yeah. And I don't care. I mean, I know in America we made it a horribly racist thing, but I don't care what the situation is. Owning people is never a good thing. So, definitely something to celebrate there. And I'm not going to get real political, but there are two things with the current administration that I wanted to discuss this week. First one is from UPI.com. VP Kamala Harris takes part in D.C.'s LGBTQ Pride Rally. This is the first time ever a sitting vice president walked the Pride Walk in D.C. And honey, I bet every right-winger out there was dying. They're like, oh! And this is also... The whole country's going to go to hell! This is also an extreme change from the last administration where the first lady went to the detainment camps wearing a coat that says, I don't really care, do you? Oh yeah, I remember that. Obviously Kamala Harris does really care because she's out there doing the Pride Walk in D.C. Oh yeah. You know, people can say about her what they want and they can say that she only did this to further an agenda or whatever. But honestly, if this was not something she really felt, she'd have stayed indoors instead of walking in the heat. Because, I mean, the picture has her and her husband with their arms around each other, both of them wearing blazers. So, she was dressed, I mean, they well, put a t-shirt underneath the blazers. But I hate to say it, but those blazers were covering up bulletproof vests, you know they were. Well, maybe, but... Still, my point is, they're out there wearing this in the heat in D.C., oh, walking this walk, when if they didn't really feel this way about it, they'd have sit back in their office or whatever and said they support it. Yeah. This is actually showing they support it, putting their money where well, their mouth is. So you ain't got to the choir, honey. The that's what right I'm pointing going, out yes, here. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. That's why I'm talking about the way they're dressed, is because they're actually devoting the time in the heat to walk this walk. And the fact that it's 
a first for a vice president that's actually actively the vice president to participate in this walk, that is a huge deal. Oh, yeah. So, so definitely something to, to be thankful for there. And the next one also deals with this administration. President Biden... Oh, I just it just went off here, but the it was President Biden from the Associated Press on Yahoo News to name Pulse nightclub a national memorial. Now, obviously, we just passed the five mark anniversary of the horrific event of a shooter going into a gay nightclub in Orlando shooting and killing 49 people, leaving 53 others wounded. It was one of the most shocking stories that I've seen in years. I mean, this was more than the country music concert where the guy sat from a hotel window picking off people. This was somebody who... And there's all kinds of rumors about why he did it and thoughts about why he did it. But he went and actually looked at people as he shot them. He wasn't yards away and couldn't see faces. He was right there seeing what he was doing every second of it. Now, Chris, I can't remember. Was he selective on who he was shooting? Or was he just like mowing them down? Like I think animal. he was just shooting anybody who got in his way. The There was no real rhyme or reason to who he shot. And, I mean, it could have been a lot of things coming together. Because, like I said, some of the, the rumors were that he was battling with thoughts of being gay himself. And... He was definitely on the terrorist watch list, so he honestly should never have been allowed to buy the guns. And the guns that he used in this shooting were purchased legally. The there was this just they said that he had been seen in the nightclub several times prior to this, so don't know if he was casing it for this event or if he was trying to act on the feelings that he may have had and then turned against them. But if he did feel same-sex attraction, this kind of leads to the fact of why we need pride and need to educate people that it is not a bad thing. It is something that is innate. You are born this way. It's nothing that you choose and society kind of pushes this kind of hate. And if, if he was truly feeling same-sex attraction, then it's the self-loathing that was brought on by society that helped push him into this act. So, he was a monster was nonetheless. Garbage. Yeah, I mean, he was a total monster. But there's a, this is one of the things that can be used as a teaching moment. And... This is why pride is so important, is because 
we need to move away from this kind of hate and making people feel like this is an okay thing because it's not. And as I don't know if you saw it, there was a story today on the news, nothing to do with this story, but yet another incident where a gun was used improperly. There was a cashier at a grocery store in Georgia that got into an altercation with the customer over the customer not wearing a mask. The way I understand it, the customer left, came back, shot and killed the cashier, and I believe the shooter and the deputy were also injured. But, again, teachable moments. Shot over asking to be wearing a mask? Yep. And we all know that the whole mask mandate has caused a lot of angry customers. And it's just sad that you will listen to a politician before you will listen to science and refuse to wear a mask when it's actually the best thing to do and try and keep everybody safe. But they'll keep talking about how they care about people and how they're pro-life, but yet they'll refuse to do the one little simple thing that can save lives and wear a mask and help prevent the spread. So... But anyways, the, the quote from President Biden about naming Pulse Nightclub a national memorial, one of the things he said, We must drive out hate and inequities that contribute to the epidemic of violence and murder against transgender women, especially transgender women of color. And that has become another major issue is the murder of transgenders. I believe yeah. we're already higher this year than it has been any other year of transgenders being murdered. Most of them, of course, are black. And it's just, we need to learn to be better. If we're going to call ourselves a Christian nation, we need to be a Christian nation. And Christianity is about love and acceptance. You may not agree with the person, you may think it's a sin, but you don't judge them, you don't ridicule them, you accept them. And you move on. And that's what true Christianity is. As Paul is making all kinds of noise again. You can hit this paper towel. Yes, I can. I did not know that. Pops. Yeah. These app, you know, I want to plug them. Apple earbuds are very sensitive, by the way. <laughs> but, um, uh,. You making noise, and then you said you were no, going to plug it? that, before that, you were, you were saying something, I was going to add to it. The Pulse nightclub? No, we were talking about, we moved on from that and talking about something else. Oh, the Christianity, we oh. being a true Christian. Unfortunately, today's Christians teach hate. Unfortunately. And that's all they teach, it seems like. Yep. So, it's, that's sad. And unfortunately, that's the way it is and probably will be. But moving on to completely different topics, as Paul once again Sorry. starts rattling the I paper towel. The paper towel. <laughs> the, the, this is from Independent on Yahoo News. 
Elon Musk selling off last California home before starting Mars Colony. And I can't say that I'd be sad to see him leave the Earth to go to Mars. Before starting a Mars colony? Yep. Is that what the article said? Yep. The article he reads... He plans on going to Mars? This is the article, how it reads. Elon Musk says he plans on selling his last remaining home in California after vowing to sell off all his possessions to fund a Mars colony. The Tesla founder tweeted late on Sunday, Decided to sell my last remaining house. Just needs to go to a large family who will live there. It's a special place. It follows the tech billionaire vowing in May of 2020 to sell off all physical possessions and own no house before launching a Mars colony by 2050. The house situated in the San Francisco Bay Area had been rented out by Mr. Musk for events before Sunday's announcement. Yeah, I sold my houses except for one in Bay Area that's rented out for events, tweeted the Tesla founder on Wednesday. Working on sustainable energy for Earth with Tesla and protecting future of consciousness by making it life multiplanetary with SpaceX. So, he's planning to colonize Mars. And sell off everything he Bye. can. That's what I'm saying. Bye. <laughs> Look, before as I get long as you leave the te- As long as you leave your Tesla cars here, that's fine with me. Uh, not even... I can't afford them, so... No, the Tesla cars are saving the environment one part of time, so just chill on that. But I still can't afford them, so... I told you last week he's getting ready to come out with a $20,000 Tesla 2. Well, he needs to go ahead and get it out, because I still can't afford it. Well, his whole, this was his whole um, business um, thing, was to come out with a very expensive electric car, which is the Tesla S. And it was $100,000 plus for it. So that was the startup to get the startup business. And the whole business model was to come out with cars that is even more affordable for the everyday person to, to buy. So that he came out with the Tesla Model S, and then he came out with the Tesla 3, and then he came out with there's various other Teslas he's come out with that are more affordable. And now he's got the Tesla 3, which is um, starting price point, I think it's 28000 starting and then um, the Tesla 2 is going to be a starting price point of nineteen nine. Yeah, Like I said, right now I can't afford it, so... Anyways, do you have anything before I get into the entertainment news, or...? Um, let's see. Oh, Marjorie Taylor Greene apologized after <laughs> she went to the, um, the Holocaust Museum for what she said. Yeah, and I don't even want to give her the time of day, to be honest. It's because I believe that after she apologized, she made other terrible statements that just kind of ruined well, it all again. But The woman is just terrible to begin with. Oh, yeah. And I saw something about, I think it's McCarthy wants to remove Ilan Omar and vowed that if they get the the majority back to the Republicans, she will be gone. And I'm like, why are you worried about her when you won't even censor or reprimand or anything Marjorie Taylor Greene or Donald Trump? And they've said horrible things all along. It's like, I don't know of anything that Omar has said or done that equals to anything that Greene or Trump have done. So get your own party in order before you start going after the other. 
But, but anyway, the CW today announced actual premiere dates for their new season. Coming Friday, October 1st will be the season premiere of Penn & Teller Fullless. The following Friday, October 8th, we'll see the series or the season premiere of Nancy Drew. Saturday, October 9th, will be the season premiere of Whose Line Is It Anyways, followed by an original episode. And then at 9 o'clock, World's Funniest Animals season premiere will be followed by an original episode of World's Funniest Animals. Sunday, October 10th, we'll see the new series premiere, Legends of the Hidden Temple, the remake of the old show. I believe it was a game show. At 9 o'clock, we'll see the season premiere of Killer Camp, which I'm not familiar with. Wednesday, October 13th, we'll see the season premieres of Legends of Tomorrow at 8 and Batwoman at 9. Thursday, October 14th, we'll see an original episode of Coroner at 8, followed by Legacy's season premiere at 9. Monday, October 25th, we'll see the season premiere of All-American at 8, followed by the new series premiere 4400 at 9, the remake of the old USA show. And then Thursday, October 28th, We'll see the season premiere of Walker, followed by an original episode of Legacies. Tuesday, November 16th, The Flash will season premiere at 8 o'clock, followed by Riverdale at 9. And I'm kind of surprised that The Flash is holding off so long, because that's about a month after everything else. Because Wednesday, October 13th is Legends of Tomorrow and Batwoman, so then you got to wait until Tuesday, November 16th for The Flash. So that is a full That's month. really late. Yeah. So I don't know. And Flash and Riverdale are the last two premieres, and they're the only two season premieres in November. So everything else is going to premiere a good three weeks prior to those two shows. I wonder what the rationale is behind that. Uh, that I don't know. I know that Naomi and Superman and Lois, among others... Are going. To, uh, here's the list: It's The Outpost, Stargirl, Roswell, Roswell, New Mexico, Charmed, Dynasty, and In the Dark are not returning until 2022. Also being held are new series Naomi, Kung Fu, and the spinoff All American Homecoming. And it's leaving out one of the biggest hits on the CW right now, Superman and Lois, which is also being held for a mid season. So. This is strange. Hmm. Well, the Superman and Lois, I think, is partly due to the COVID delay and the effects they have to put into it. And it could be the same thing with the Flash as to why it's late, is the effects that, that they have to put me. in. I just had a story to come across my phone. You said COVID delay. <clears throat> it says... The cookie surplus. Buying Girl Scout cookies is a long-awaited tradition for many, but this year millions of boxes remain unsold due to COVID-19. Yeah, it's 15 million boxes. I'm like, uh, what are you going to do with those cookies? I hope they donate them. Well, they'll find a way, because I'm sure those aren't going to go unsold. They need to, instead of charging, how much are they? $5 a box or something like yep. that? Bring them down to $2 if buy one, get one free. There you go. They'll, they'll get find me a way. Some thin, get me some thin mints, bitch. 
I was talking about it, and I'll go to Dollar General and get the the knockoff brands that they sell. The Clover Valley, those yeah. are good too. I mean, they're pretty Honest much the God, same I thing. I think it's the same thing. So those, co- yeah, those coconut delights. Oh my gosh, those caramel coconut delights. That's my favorite. Because somebody at work said, but those aren't as good. I was like, they taste about the same as the others. So uh, there's in my taste buds, I can't taste anything different. So uh, I've enjoyed them. I know that. And they're like a dollar a box, so you can buy four for the price. You get one of the Girl Scout cookies, five even. Here, piggy, 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 piggy. Here, piggy, piggy. <laughs> hey, I like I like my Girl Scout cookies, but I'll go the cheap route if I can go. But this next story I've got, I didn't even know it was a thing. This is from comicbookmovie.com. Beauty and the Beast prequel series gets green light for Disney Plus. Brianna Middleton what? joins cast. The Beauty and the Beast prequel series we've been hearing about, starring Luke Evans and Josh Gad, is now officially in development for the Disney Plus streaming service. Brianna Middleton has joined the cast. And it this article mentioned that it was in development since last year, and this was honestly the first I've heard about it. So I've not even heard about it. But apparently it's going to be an eight episode series coming to Disney Plus. I guess Beauty and the Beast the movie and the remake of the Beauty and the Beast, the you know, quote unquote live action was not good enough. I guess they're gonna try to, you know, build the more off of it, I guess. I don't know. I was I've not watched the live-action Beauty and the Beast, to be honest. Don't really. It's actually really good. Don't really good. care to see it because I'm tired of them remaking the animation. Like, if you're going to remake what's been animated, stick with the Dalmatians because they're adorable, and at least you have something there. Otherwise, you're just rehashing the same idea over and over. I mean, Cinderella's getting remade. The Cruella's. I'm still not sold on that one. I've heard it's good, but I want the Dalmatians. I don't want Cruella. There's the difference. The Beauty and the Beast was done. Uh, The Lion King was, for some unknown reason, redone. Aladdin. um, My favorite one was The Jungle Book. That was a cute movie. But it's like, how many times are you going to remake these same movies over and over? Hey, as long as it makes them millions, I guess that's all they care about. And it's just like they were supposed. Now, what gets me is they're so they were supposed to like end the saga of Star Wars. All of a sudden, there's more Star Wars movies coming out. What's up with that? No, they ended the Skywalker saga, not Star Wars. I'm, I'm using my tissue again, by the way. As always, making noise. Annoying everybody out there in Radio Land. Sorry. But the... the, That was something that I was talking with somebody at work the other day, too. It really scares me what Disney's going to do to the X-Files. Because you you know Disney's going to end up remaking the X-Files eventually. Excuse me, they own the X-Files? 
Fox. They bought Fox. Oh, that's right. They did. Well, they bought Fox Entertainment. Yes. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. So, yeah, they own the X-Files now. And you know they're going to bastardize it and remake it you and screw it all up. they're come out with a new... Now, the only way I'll really like it, they better shove some money towards Mulder and Scully. Well, to that's... To come out with an X-Files movie. That was my point the other day when we were talking about it is... The X-Files proved that without Mulder and Scully, it doesn't work. Because Mulder was in 13 of the seven se or the season 7 episodes, and Mul uh, Scully was going to leave after season 9, but 8 and 9 without Mulder, the ratings just kept tanking and they finally decided to end it. But they did not go too far, because without Scully or Mulder, it would have been bad. They brought it back for a movie, which I very much enjoyed. Then they brought it back for two event series, which were fantastic. But, of course, they, those event series and the movie, Mulder and Scully. So Yes, and those event series did gangbusters. Gangbusters. And what got me is they just stopped it. Why did they do that? Because the X-Files... I still don't understand because it was so huge. It was so freaking huge. But the X-Files is supposed to leave questions. That's the, the one thing about the I X-Files. I still want to know, and I still want to know what happened to the green Mustang with the light shining down on top of it at the end of that episode, and she gets out and looks up. And see, that's the thing. I like it. And, that's all, and, then, it, and then it just ended. And you I, do not know what happened after that. No, that was the first of the event series, wasn't it? Because the second season... That was, no, 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 no. That was at the very end. That was the very end. Yeah, I thought that was the very show. end of the first event series. And then it came back oh. and they dealt with Scully's son and didn't really go into all the details on what happened there. I just remember I was distraught. Because I remember at the end of the second series, the, the second event series, there was the head in the water at the end if I'm not mistaken and that's how that one ended. oh that's right that's right that's right so yeah that was the first event series where it ended but that's the thing you want the X-Files to leave openings and not answer all the questions because that's the history of the X-Files there's always been unanswered questions and that's how it should end and if they never come back it's perfect because you've still got the unanswered questions, and you're left wanting more. And, like Supernatural, the ending of it, it didn't leave me wanting more. Uh, that sucked. We can all agree that the ending of Supernatural sucked. Yeah. A little spike killed him. And... I mean, and we're not saying who died because we don't know who hasn't seen the end of the Supernatural series. But Even though you already gave it away. No, I said a you spike killed you didn't, someone. You didn't give away who, who it was, killed. but you gave away that it was a pretty big deal, so... Well, anyways. But, but yeah, the, the X-Files, as it is, leaves me wanting more, and that's a good thing. Because 
seasons eight and nine didn't leave me wanting more so much. I mean, I love the show. It's my second favorite show of all time. But... I'll tell you what, seasons eight and nine, whenever I watched it, I basically I just had to hold a gun in my head to watch it. Uh, I didn't, but they're, they're far from what all the others were. I mean, they were. far from it. So That makes me want to start watching the series all over again. I've got every episode on DVD, and not only every episode on DVD, I've got the expensive versions that were originally released of the seasons. You know, when they were suggested retail of like $150? Yeah, those yeah. are the ones that I got, not the reissued sets that were like $20 a piece. I hear you, bougie. But but no, I was that much of a fan. I had to have them, and I'm so. I mean, I got them for like seventy to a hundred instead of a hundred and fifty. But still, no, that's I, when you. I had that's to when have you them. Probably worked at, That's when you probably worked at Media Play, wasn't it? Partly, but it was also Amazon sales and the whatever wherever I could find them the cheapest price. I got them, and I got every set on DVD. I've got everything on Blu-ray, and I've got most of it on digital. So I was going to say, you probably have it on your Voodoo, don't you? I've got the first six seasons and I think the first event series on the digital. But everything else I've got... I don't think I have the second event series on digital, but I've got it on Blu-ray. So, But it's just it's a show that holds up. It never To me, it never gets old. And... I mean, even the look and feel of it. Yeah, there's a 90s feel to it and such, but it holds up and you can place it at any time. But to change anything like Mulder or Scully out of it, no, it won't work. And they've proven that. I'm just, if, if Disney decides to redo that and they don't bring back David Duchovny and, um, what's her name? Jillian Anderson. There you go. Thank you. Um, and try to bring somebody else in. I don't know how that would work. And while I'm thinking about it, have you ever seen the video to Bree Sharp's song, David Duchovny, Why Won't You Love Me? No. Oh, look that video up. It's really good. Did you say Baby Shark song? No. Bree Sharp. B R E E. Last name S H A R P. No, I. I have six. I don't I want that baby shark. Cat. I've never seen or never heard that baby shark song, and I will never hear it, and I'll never see it either. I've heard it, unfortunately, and I'm not thrilled. But moving on from comicbook.com, Kevin Bacon joins Toxic Avengers reboot as movie's villain. This is pretty big. Really? I believe we talked Kevin, about the Toxic Avenger reboot the other week. We did. Well, Kevin Bacon is going to be the main villain in the film. So, it's a, the article reads, Bacon will star as the film's antagonist against our opposite Game of Thrones' Peter Dinklage, who will be playing the hero of the story. The cast also includes Ma Rainey's Black Bottom star Taylor Page and Room breakout Jacob Tremblay. Macon Blair of I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore is serving as both writer and director 
with production set to begin later this month in Bulgaria. The original Toxic Avenger was released in 1984 by Troma Entertainment, a company that was known for making low-budget films. Toxic Avenger quickly became the biggest hit in Troma's history, spawning multiple sequel movies, an animated series, comics, and a stage production. So, if adding Kevin Bacon doesn't give credence to the Toxic Avenger movie, nothing will. I love me some bacon. And yet one more of the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. I follow him on TikTok. And my final regular news story this week for entertainment. This is from comicbookresources.com. JLQ. DC Pride officially assembles the Justice League Queer. What? They have DC, this is the second year that they have done a Pride special. And the way I'm reading it, in the story, they have a group of LGBT characters come together as the JLQ. It's Aqualad in the comics is now gay. He is not the same Aqualad from the Filmation animated series. This Aqualad is actually black. And they've gone into that story on Young Justice, the animated series, which if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend the Young Justice series. It is very well done. Like, you know how you got into the some of the DC movies that I've put on, like Justice League Dark and such, it's that kind of yeah. quality. The animation's really good, the stories are strong, all of that. And the one drawback to Young Justice is each season has an arcing story. So you kind of have to watch the whole season to get the full story. That's the one drawback to it. You can't just jump in and watch anywhere. But the... The picture of the ones that I know, they've got Midnighter, it looks like Apollo, Batwoman, uh, Starman, or no, the Ray, not Starman, the Ray. Several of them in there, and I don't recognize everybody. Just jumping into the article, it says, Aqualad puts up a good fight against Eclipso, even if he is outmatched. Luckily, Gregorio de la Vega's Justice League queer shows up not a moment too soon to show Eclipso his way out. The team is more more than affordable with powerhouses such as Apollo, Midnighter, and the Ray all in fighting shape, though they don't even get a chance to show Eclipso what they're made of. Steel, Bunker, and Tremor all lead the charge, none of them missing a single strike on their enemy. Aerie and Wink get both get to land a couple of their own devastating blows to the villain before he is forced through a portal into parts unknown by the combined mystical might of Tracy Thirteen and Gregorio himself. Batwoman, Shining Knight... The Tasmanian Devil and Crush don't seem too upset about having been left out of the fight, especially with how important of a battle it was for everyone involved. The Tasmanian Devil may not be particularly impressed with his husband's choice of name for this squad of heroes, but it's unlikely to change anytime soon considering what has brought them all together in the first place, not to mention their first official mission having been saving a pride parade. So, it... From the sounds of it, this is going to be a continuing storyline in the comics. And that is one thing that I will give 
to DC Entertainment is they have gone much better than Marvel at spotlighting the LGBT community in their movies and shows and even their animation. Like I said, Aqualad on Young Justice, you had the Freedom Fighters Ray movie, which was done as a series on the CWC and then released with extra footage as a animated feature. And the Ray is a gay man played on the Arrowverse by Russell Tovey, who also voiced the character in the animated movie. Um, Batwoman, the series, pretty much the whole Arrowverse has showcased LGBT. You've got Sarah Lance, who's bisexual. You've got John Constantine, who's bisexual. You've got Batwoman, who's a lesbian. You've got Dreamer on Supergirl, who is a transgender female. I mean, they have really run the gamut on the LGBT characters. The Flash had a supporting character in the police chief that was gay, and he referred to his husband a few times on the show. So, it was just always done as a, this is how it is, we're not even going to question it, we're just going to accept it and move on, and that's the way it should be. It's normalized. And Don't Marvel, forget about Wonder Woman. Well, but that was just like a mention in the movie and didn't really go anywhere. The DC's live-action films have not showcased yet, but Harley Quinn is bound to. And that was another one, Harley Quinn the Animated Series. Very adult series, but it showcases the relationship between Ivy and Quinn. So, Well, I was, well, I was also insinuating about oh, that, that island full of women. Yeah. Mm, come on now. Well, if you remember in the first Wonder Woman movies, Wonder Woman and Steve are laying there on the boat coming to the war, and she mentions having known romance on the island. So, I mean, it's it's mentioned. It's just not played out. They just don't really yeah. play on it. So. Yeah, and so, I mean, I can't think of any Marvel TV show or film that has really showcased outside of, oh, what was her name on the, she was a supporting character in the, the Daredevil and Luke Cage and all those shows, and Becoming Wildcat, they had her with her female. Jessica Jones? It wasn't Jessica Jones, it was her friend. Oh, it's the blonde. Yeah. Um, they, they showcased her, and the oh, Runaways. Oh, yeah, she's a lesbo. Yeah, the Runaways had a lesbian couple. But that's all I can think of in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And those two shows aren't even really being kept as part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Trish Walker. Yeah. What is what did she become? Was it Wildcat? Let's see. Or? Um she never did become it, but she was on her way. Let's see here. Trish Walker. I'm going to look that up. Keep going. Oh, uh, that's... I really don't have... But, I mean, DC, all along, their new shows. Now, Smallville, I don't remember any real representation. But the Arrowverse especially... Doom Patrol, 
you've got the whole story of Larry Trainer, who was a closeted gay man in the 60s. He was a test pilot. He was married with children and having an affair with a man. And that's a story that you don't see. Also, in the Doom Patrol, you got Dan Danny the Street, who is a sentient street, one of my favorite characters in the Doom Patrol. And Danny was actually a living street, like the road and buildings. Danny was alive. Hellcat? Hellcat. Yeah, that was it. Like I said, she never did make it, but they were on their way to making her. Because it was yeah. her and Misty, which I can't remember what Misty becomes in the comics, but she also becomes a superhero with the bionic arm. And they got her the bionic yeah. arm, but... But that's pretty much it of the regular news. I do have, unfortunately, again, a few passings to mention. Uh, first Didn't one we just have one today, or was it yesterday? Yesterday. Yeah. But the first one I've got is from TVInsider.com. Ryan's Hope star John Gabriel dies at 90. Says the veteran actor John Gabriel is best known for his roles as Dr. Seneca Bolak in the ABC soap opera Ryan's Hope. He was 90 years old. He also, if you get the Gilligan's Island DVDs, the first season has the original pilot. He was the original professor before Russell Johnson. I didn't know that. Yeah, so there was the... I know Gilligan and the Skipper were the same. I don't remember if the Howls were in it and... Marianne and Ginger were both different. And it seems like there might have been eight castaways on the pilot instead of seven. I can't remember for sure. It's been a while since I've watched it. But he actually was the original professor. It says he also had a recurring spot on Mary Tyler Moore's show as WJM TV sportscaster Andy Rivers. Um, so definitely a lot that he's known for. Says, was also recognized for his singing and musical talent, having performed on The Ed Sullivan Show, The Mike Douglas Show, Regis and Kathy Lee, The Merv Griffin Show, and more. He also co-wrote the title song to the John Wayne classic El Dorado, in which he also appeared. So a lot of talent there. And it does not seem to give a cause of death again, but again... 90 years old is a pretty full life, so... Yeah, the cause of death was not reported, is right here in the article. Yeah. Next up is from UPI.com. Gone Girl actress Lisa Baines dies at 65 after hit and run. Gone Girl actress Lisa Baines has died after an apparent hit and run incident. Baines rep David Williams confirmed the actress's death Monday to Entertainment Tonight. Baines was 65. Williams told NBC News that Baines was hospitalized in critical condition at Mount Sinai Morningside Hospital after a motorized bicycle or scooter ran a red light and struck her on June 4th. Baines suffered a traumatic brain injury in the collision and was unable to recover. Says, That's awful. Yeah. As an actress, Baines appeared on Broadway and in films and TV. She played Mary Beth, the mother of Amy, in Gone Girl, and also portrayed Victoria on Six Feet Under 
and Ellen Collins on Royal Pains. She worked with Seth MacFarlane on The Orville, and he tweeted, I am deeply saddened at the news of Lisa Baines' passing. We had the good fortune to work with her on The Orville this past year. Her stage presence, magnetism, skill, and talent were matched only by her unwavering kindness and graciousness toward all of us. A tremendous loss. Says Baines is survived by her wife, Catherine Cranhold. So, definitely a tragedy there and not the way anybody would want to go. And finally, probably the biggest hit to all of us is Otis from Superman has passed away. This story is from CNN.com. Ned Beatty, an Oscar-nominated character actor whose many films include Deliverance and Superman, has died at the age of 83. Ned, ba Ned passed away from natural causes Sunday morning, surrounded by his family and loved ones, Shelter Entertainment Group talent manager Deborah Miller told CNN in an email. Beatty's first film role gained him lasting notice in the 1972 film Deliverance, as one of four Georgia men who go on a harrowing canoe trip. He was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for 1976's Network, played the bumbling Otis in 1978's Superman, and had countless other theater, TV, and movie roles. He was once hailed by Daily Variety as the busiest actor in Hollywood, according to his agency. So, other films include All the President's Men, The Big Easy, and Hear My Song, and more recently, The Walker, Charlie Wilson's War, and Shooter. And definitely a large library left to us by Ned Beatty, which nobody's going to herald it as a tremendous film, but for Marvel fans, if they would like to see the Roger, not the Roger Corman version, but there was a, a version of Captain America done in the 90s that is actually available in its entirety for free on YouTube and Ned Beatty actually had a role in that movie as well. So he was not only Otis in Superman but he was a friend of the president in Captain America. So if you want to see him in comic book stuff you've got those. Of course I've never seen Network in really desperately want to watch it now especially but lots of good stuff from him so pay tribute pay honor and remember his legacy and with that we are done with the news portion we're going to review Loki the new Disney Plus series as well as the birdcage that Paul picked when we return Stay tuned, everybody. And we are back. First up, let's do the top 10 films of the weekend. Well, I'll do the top 11 because we've been talking about this one for a while. Number 11 down out of the top 10 from... 9 to 11, Godzilla vs. Kong brought in $290,801, just under $100 million, 
$99,704,273 in 11 weeks. Down from 7 to 10 was Spiral after 5 weeks of release. Debuting at number 9. It's also available on digital is Queen Bees, $375,628. At number 8, down from 6 is Wrath of Man after 6 weeks. Debuting at number 7 with $1,011,756, The House Next Door, Meet the Blacks 2. And I have no clue what that one is. I've not even heard about it. Down from 4 to 6, second week, Spirit Untamed, just over 2.5 million. Down from 3 to 5, Cruella, with a three-week total of just under $56 million. Debuting at 4... With $10,101,066, Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway. And I do have to say, that one kind of looks funny. I'd like to see it. And I never saw the first Peter Rabbit. Dropping from first place to third, which is not really a surprise, but still pulling in $10,335,831 in its second week, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. With a two-week total of $44,087,256 for a film that is also on HBO Max. Speaking of HBO Max, debuting at number two with $11,504,710 is the Lin-Manuel Miranda musical In the Heights, which is also available on HBO Max. And climbing from two to one, the first... Pandemic era film to cross $100 million in the United States, A Quiet Place Part 2. Third weekend brought in $12,012,263 for a grand total in three weeks, $109,352,478. That is crazy. So, theaters are coming back for sure. But that is now four films with over $10 million each this past weekend. I do want to see that movie. Which one? The Quiet Place? Quiet Place, and I want to see um, um, The Devil Made Me Do It. We, we watched it. At the theater. Oh. Huh? How, how are you going to go to the theater and watch a movie you can't even watch at home? I want to have friends with me. You better have 50. You know what? I'm about done with you. <laughs> yeah. You were the one who couldn't get past 20 minutes of the film. Which, by the way, did you finish watching it like you said you were going to? No, because you're a wuss. No, because it's super scary. It's not scary. It is. It's not. But anyways... Real quick, I want to talk about a show that Paul has not watched and could not have reviewed because season two premiered this past week. Is Love Victor. Of course, this series is... Would you quit opening and closing that bottle? I swear. You okay? I am now. Okay. Paul over there... Fanning like he's got the the verklempt or something. Like I've got the vapors. But, but anyways, Love Victor 
is spun from the film Love, Simon. And they have really done extremely well at connecting the series Love, Victor to the film Love, Simon. The first season had Victor contacting Simon through email. He went to New York City to see Vic or to see Simon. Simon wasn't there, but Simon's boyfriend was. And in the final episode of season one, Simon showed up. This season, we see Josh Dumel, who played Simon's father in the series or in the movie, running the P flag meeting on the series Love Victor. And at the end of the season, which the I will say the season finale was very predictable, but we see Simon at the end in the final episode of the season, and they kind of, the way I see it, they kind of put it to where Simon is going to be phased out of the show because Victor no longer needs him. And if you watch the show, you understand why Victor needs him. So it's it's kind of like a nice fitting, okay, we've... We've made the connection. We know why this is a continuation of the story. Now we can move forward. So I, I like the way they did that. And it took two seasons to do it, which makes sense. Other than the fact that it was extremely predictable, one thing that I had against the show, which really had no bearing on the show itself, but it's just, I live in the South. I know how hot it is on the night before school starts, for the first day of school. They're in Georgia, near Atlanta. Oh! And, that is the armpit of hell. And they're having a campfire the night before the first day of school. They're wearing coats and acting like they need to cuddle up to stay warm by a campfire. Uh, it's like, sorry, that's not at all accurate. It's hot, it's humid, you're going to be miserable wearing that kind of outfit in the last day before school starts. And the real South, yes. But, but the other guys, IMDb gives it 8.1 out of 10, and Rotten Tomatoes has it at 95%. I will say this show really holds up season to season. I very much enjoyed it. It was 10 episodes both seasons. This season, last week after you and I got done with the podcast, I watched the first four episodes. The next night, I watched the following six episodes. So in two nights, I watched every episode of this show. And, I mean, Andy Richter shows up in it. The Victor's mom is played by the same actress who played uh, Betty's sister on Ugly Betty. Anna Ortiz is the actress's name. So, lots of talent. Cuba Gooding Jr.'s son is in it. Mason Gooding plays Andrew the Jock. But it's really a very strong series. And now that Victor has come out to his family, this season is about dealing with him coming out. And this kind of more believable than a lot of things I've seen, but it's still they they went more happy than anything else because his mother has an issue with him being gay 
and she's dealing with that throughout the season. But it's it's not the horror story that some kids end up facing. And yeah, we wanted something uplifting to watch, but we also want some reality mixed in. And that's where Victor is altered from Love, Simon. Love, Simon, his parents were very supportive and accepting. Love, Victor, not quite the same situation. So, as far as the second season on the whole, I would give it, I'd say, three and three quarter stars out of five, maybe four stars. It was really good. So, highly suggest it. If you've not watched Love, Simon, watch it first. Then watch the two seasons of Love, Victor, because you'll really enjoy them, I guarantee you. Cool. And with that, that was our first Pride choice this week that Paul didn't get to participate in. But our second Pride choice is Paul's pick. It is The Birdcage. Oh, and real quick, Love, Victor and Love, Simon are all available to watch on Hulu as part of the regular service. The Birdcage, also available on Hulu. The other guys, IMDb ranks it 7.1 out of 10, Rotten Tomatoes gives it 81%, and Metacritic gives it 72. Paul, you chose this one, so I'm going to let you introduce it. This is a classic comedy at this point. It is the, um, the ultimate... Uh, I remember going to the movie theater about this movie. It's a story about a gay couple who... Um, has um, a son and um, the son meets the adult, uh, a girl in, while away in college and the parents of the girl is a conservative senator and um, it's the whole hijinks of what goes on behind the scenes whenever the two families meet up for dinner in South Beach at their club in South Beach in Miami. I remember going to the movies and seeing this and I laughed so hard that I cried and I actually went back and saw it again and Chris, I saw it at the Terrace Theater I remembered when it was shown at the Terrace Theater, that's where I saw this at and I can't um, remember if I watched it here or in Virginia do I now? I can't remember if I watched it here or in Virginia but I know I saw it at the theater I, um, it features Robin Williams, um, which is um, a very, everybody knows who Robin oh, Williams the, is. And the Nathan Lane has Gene Hackman. The cast and is Diane West. amazing. I mean, you've got some the real cast heavy hitters. And one of my favorites, who's not a very big role in it, but I just absolutely love her, even though I keep seeing things that I'm not real thrilled with her in. Like, the Grinch movie that she was in, but Christine Baranski. She was Marianne on the sitcom Sybil, and that's where I got to know her and love her, and I just love the actress now. She was, of course, in Mamma Mia. The first one, great. Second one, not so much. But she was the one, just to steal it from Paul here, because i got to rave on my Christine Baranski for a minute. She is the yeah, actual... She's the actual mother of Val, the son of Robin Williams' character and Nathan Lane's character. So, go back to it, Paul. Um, this movie takes place in South Beach, Miami, in, um, in the 90s. Uh, 
And um, the real interesting thing about this, when I started going, me and my friend Justin, God rest his soul now, he's, um, he passed away years ago, but uh, me and him used to go down to some Miami South Beach for a week in October, and we would party it down. Well, this was a real place in South Beach. They, um, Paramount had came in and bought this, I bought this um, hotel right there on the main strip of um, Miami South Beach, the far end on the right, exactly where it's filmed at, and they really turned it into a real working bar, restaurant, and lounge called the Birdcage, and it really had the penthouse on the top, they really put the, the a pool in the roof, and did all the add-ons to it. This was real, and I got to see it, and it was amazing. Uh, the um, the shot, you know, as it's at the, you remember the movie as it's coming on, it shows um, it's coming in from the ocean. Chris, you remember that? And it's coming in, it's coming across the beach, and it has that one long continuous shot coming in through the traffic, and it goes straight into the building at that very beginning of the movie. I kind of paid attention, kind of didn't. Well, I met some of the grips and the people that helped work on that movie, making it there in South Beach. They told me and Justin how they filmed that. That was done by a helicopter drone coming across the ocean, filming it. And then to get that one long continuous shot, the the production company had to move two giant palm trees out of the way and move them 10 feet to each side, so 20 feet apart, to be able to fit that helicopter through there, the drone, and go through the crowd and go up to the front doors of that uh of that hotel, would of you, the birdcage. Would there have been a drone at that point in time? This was 1996. They had helicopter. No, it was, it was a, they told us it was a helicopter drone. It was a bigger one. It's a big one. It wasn't no, like, you know, like the small ones that they are now. This was a big one used for movie productions. So um, I thought that was pretty neat. And they told us all the, and you can still see the stage. Now, um, now back when I saw it, um, they had it up for sale. Paramount put up that um, the birdcage up for sale for, for $30 million. No one bought it. They brought the price down to $10 million. No one bought it. So they told me that um, if a movie production crew comes in and changes something for a movie and it doesn't sell, if they try to sell it, they had to put it back to its original shape that they found it in. Paramount Pictures had to come back in, take away the penthouse on top of the building, take away everything and turn it back into the building if they found it whenever they started filming. So, but you can still see the stage where everything was filmed. And uh, But Nathan Lane in this role, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, one of the lines is like, um, uh, a peering tablet. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> what are you giving him drugs for? It's a, it's just the end of it's a scratched off. Oh, you're beautiful. <laughs> what are you giving him chucks for? Oh, I love it. That movie, I could watch and watch and watch and never get tired of it. I just I just found this on IMDb. It says, alternate versions. In the November 12, 1998 ABC TV network airing of The Birdcage, approximately 13 minutes of added footage was restored to the film. And it actually details the scenes that were added back in. 
says in the version in the version broadcast on ABC, swimming trunks were electronically painted over the skimpy thongs worn by Agador and other male inhabitants of South Beach, Florida. I remember that. So, there's several little tidbits there. I didn't realize there was an alternate version for TV on it. Yeah. The, the also since we always tend to talk about it, the budget for this film was thirty-one million dollars. Opening weekend in the U.S. March tenth, nineteen ninety-six, eighteen million two hundred seventy-five thousand eight hundred twenty-eight dollars. The U.S. gross one hundred and twenty-four million sixty thousand five hundred fifty-three dollars. With a worldwide gross at $185,260,553. This film, of course, is a remake of the French film La Cage à Fall. And I have seen La Cage à Fall on TNT when, they, when the Birdcage came out and they were playing it. Um, first, I'm going to say the good parts about this film that I find. The cast, phenomenal. Robin Williams, I always thought was much stronger in a dramatic performance than a comedic. Like, to me, Mrs. Doubtfire is a great film, but it's a drama. It's not a comedy. Yeah. Uh, Gene Hackman, of course, one of two actors in this that now have a major connection to the superest of superheroes in DC Comics. Gene Hackman yeah. was Lex Luthor in Superman. And uh, Callista Flockhart was on Supergirl the first season and uh -huh. reprised her role a couple of times when they moved to Vancouver because she didn't want to move to Vancouver full time. But she actually did come in and reprise her role on Supergirl to, and I'm trying to think of the name, I'm pulling up the IMDb real quick, because Cat Grant who is an actual character from the comics that was Tracy Scoggins played Cat Grant in the first season of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. But And I totally forgot she was Allie McBeal. Oh, yeah. And married to Harrison Ford. Did you forget that, too? Yes. But Callista Flockhart in this was so much different than Cat Grant on Supergirl because the Barbara Keeley, which was Callista Flockhart's character in this, was kind of timid and shy and followed the orders of her parents pretty much, whereas Cat Grant was take no prisoners and just give them hell kind of character and had no remorse for anything and was just a very strong, independent woman. So you compare those two performances, and Callista Flockhart actually did really, really well in this acting role. Uh, Hank Azaria, of course, the former voice of Apu on Simpsons, which, again, here he's playing someone from another nation. I can't remember where they said he was from, but he was not from that country, obviously. So that's one of the drawbacks to this film. Uh, Diane Weist, absolutely love her. Of course, she was the mother on The Lost Boys. She also appeared in some Law & Order seasons. Dan Futterman, 
Nathan Lane. So a lot of really talented actors and actresses in this. Oh, yeah. My problem with this film is it's pretty well dated. Like, the jokes are kind of bad taste, if you ask me. And they play too much to the stereotype. And... I don't know, I was, in, I was not a big fan of this movie when it came out. Like, La Cage Fall, I enjoyed a lot when I saw it on TNT. And granted, I had to watch the, the dubbed version instead of the subtitled because comedy moves at a very fast pace. And you need it to... So that might be part of why I didn't care for this one as much as I'd seen the original first and saw this one second. But, I don't know, just... There was a lot that I thought could have been done better. The character of Agador I wasn't really thrilled with. He was supposed to be comedy, but I just kept seeing him more as an insult. Oh my god, he's funny. Uh, I just found him stereotypical insult. So overall, I'm not overly thrilled with this film. And... Like I said, the cast is great. Nothing against their performances. It's just... You could not make this film today. I mean, you really couldn't. I don't, I don't see a studio head saying, Yeah, this is a good idea. Let's go with this. That's kind of hateful and stereotypical. But yeah, I just, it just doesn't really play well to me this day and age. And it honestly, it kind of bored me watching this film again. It, I mean, it really didn't. I've watched it over two nights. Like, I started it one night and finished it the next. And... I don't know. It, just, it wasn't my film. I'll put it that way. Oh, now see, I contrast you, and I'm saying I'm going to love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. I cherish this movie. I can, like, recite this movie. It is so, to me, it's just funny. I love it. And doesn't matter how many times I've seen it, I mean, I just stop and I howl. I love Agador Spartacus. I love, um, Al, I love them. I love them all. So uh, it's like you know, uh, Robin Williams when he's going up the when he's trying to delay going inside the house. Oh, I think I hurt my thing. What? My my thing. You know? <laughs> okay. Well, just I'll go ahead and do oh. a spoiler warning here. This is kind of what I was talking about. The Callista Flockhart's parents, as you mentioned, are. Yeah very conservative and there's a whole issue of what was the the saying that he had Senator Keeley Senator Keeley and they found a he was the he was the head of the the coalition for moral order and and, and his the whole scandal was they the, found his cohort 
in the bed of um, he he passed away with um, with an underage black um, prostitute. And uh, it was a female prostitute. Imme- a fem- yeah, a female prostitute, underage, and they immediately had her on the news, like right then. And it's like, you know, her and her words was, "Well, he looked okay, so I didn't worry." You know, so uh, so there went that whole. There was a whole scandal going on with that, and. Um, and Barbara's there at their house trying to announce the wedding, and she's wanting to get married to Val, and it, it was just a whole debacle going on. And so there's, you know, the whole thing is going to heal the whole situation. We'll just have his white wedding. So there's going to drive down and meet the future in-laws in South Beach. And um, then the, the, the hijinks just ensues at that point. And see, here's where the spoiler comes in. The... <laughs> The thing that I really don't find at all believable is that one, Val would ask his parents to tone down everything to appease these Republicans coming to the house. At this point in time... Did you not see how gay the house is? But still, at this point in time... If you can't accept yourself, like well, in 1996, it was, it was a bit different. To be comedy, Chris, not for real. But, but that's my point: is this could not be made today because no one is going to change everything about themselves just to appease the fiance's family. Like, if you can't accept the family as it is, then it's never going to work. Cause, I mean, well, that, that wasn't written for today. It was written, written for back then. And it was also written for France. And I can't remember how the Fran- French film went down. But still, it's that's what I'm saying. He could not make this film like it is today. And that's just... I didn't buy into the family changing and leaving out one of them because he's a drag queen. And, you know, it just... If you're going to marry this girl, then you need to let your family be your family, or else it's never going to work. You are taking it too literal. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're just supposed to take it for face value, and that's it. You don't sit there and dissect it like you're doing. Come on now. But that's how I look at it, and I need a little bit of reality there. Like, I can suspend belief that Superman can fly, but I don't believe that this family would have gone so far to change everything to but appease. But that's what made it hilarious. That's and what made it funny. Especially after the Trump era. But, well, we're not in the Trump era. I know, anyways. with this film, but that's what I'm saying. Especially after the Trump era, I don't see anybody trying to tone themselves down to be okay with another family. You're going to be who you are and You're thinking too much. This is not supposed to be thought like that. No, stop it. But I'm watching it with today's set of eyes, and it just... It doesn't really work for me. Like, I mean, they changed everything 
in the apartment too. Everything. That's what made it so funny, is the okay. whole part of that doing it. Did you recognize the couple guys in it? I recognize Taking the people. furniture out? Did you check? Did you recognize them? Do you know who they were? It depends on who they were. I didn't pay any attention. Then you're not a true Madonna fan. Because that was Madonna's background dancers. I wasn't paying real close attention to them, to be honest. Three of them was in there. Taking those part of the ones, taking the furniture and except... Remember the one with the moose head that says, he's holding it up and he goes, too butch? Should I take it down? Remember him? Yeah. That is, he was in the Vogue video with her. That's him. I now don't... you're going to look at it with, now you want to rewatch it. No, I really don't. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, you're not a true Madonna fan if you didn't recognize him. I recognize him Oh, I'm a true Madonna up. fan. That doesn't mean I recognize every background dancer she ever had. Well, I recognize them right off the bat. Well, touch you. You know that's right. Yeah, I know I wouldn't touch you with a 10-foot pole. Oh, please. Anyways, the movie wasn't supposed to be taken literal as in today's times. You're supposed to just take it for what it is and for, for face value of what it is. And not to be dissected in real life. Come on now. One of the trivia, the last thing of trivia on IMDb.com about this, despite playing her daughter in this movie, Diane Weist is, in fact, only 16 years older than Callista Flockhart. And I'm like, that's believable. She could have had her child at 16. Yeah. I know some girls in high school that had their children at 16. I had a new someone that had them at 15. Well, I mean, I she, just wonder if she played the mother of... Jason Patrick and Corey Hain in the 80s. I remember that. So She went one of the best vampire films of all time. Not one of the best. Yeah, I was kind of skimming through here and I don't see anything in the trivia about Madonna's background dancers, so I was trying to see who they were. I'll look at that for you right quick. But Yeah, this, I'm going to go ahead and give my rating on it because, like I said, I'm not real thrilled with it. It's not terrible. It's not great. And I don't like changing the family to appease this couple. So, because of that, like, I'm bringing the score down just for that part alone. And it's going to get two and three quarters out of five from me. Wow. Um, I found an article right here. It says, um, 25 years ago, gay families just weren't talked about. Then the birdcage hit the screen. This this article came out March 8th, 2021. So this actually brought, I mean, gay people to the big screen says the time was right there's there's 25 reasons why this movie was groundbreaking and it's a whole article on it for them so, so here's, here's uh, a little bit of trivia well, on there filmmaker and PBS producer Rick McKay was hired by director Mike Nichols months before filming of Birdcage began to go to Paris London San Francisco and Atlanta 
to make a feature-length documentary about drag queens. McKay did thorough research to find drag queens all over the world to interview and to film in performance. This finished documentary was used to train Nathan Lane and Robin Williams. It says right here, this was Nathan Lane's first big break on the big screen and he turned it down. Because he was still in the closet. Because he was still in the closet. That'd be my guess as to why. It wasn't originally called the bird cage. It was called Birds of a Feather. The bird cage was also a big break for other actors, too. Calista Falkhart didn't have much going on in Hollywood. And it just goes on to talk about, let's see, David Allen Greer was the original butler. Oh, that would have been much better. I love David Allen Greer. So it was... It was such a funny movie that the director couldn't stop laughing and had to be covered up to keep from laughing uh, while they was doing it. Mike Nichols says, let's see, Nathan Lane intimidated. Nathan, was Nathan Lane intimidated by, against the comedic force of nature of Robin Williams? And it says, no, it did not intimidate him. Uh, the girl from Graver's Corners, at one point uh, at dinner, Armin calls Albert as the mother of girl from Graver's Corners. Fortunately, Senator Keeley isn't a Thornton Wilder fan. Let's see here. The Birdcage features original Stephen Sondheim music. Oh, I did not know that. Robin Williams falls during the kitchen scene was accidental, but they left it in it. So that was real. When he fell in the kitchen, remember that? When he goes in there and fell? The only one I remember falling was Hank Azaria. No, he went in there and said, you know, um, he started cussing. He falls in the kitchen, uh, and then he left that in there. Let's see, Williams ad-libbed the end of the toothbrush scene um, when they're going to Los Copa. The long opening tracking shot was actually shot in three shots. Let's see here. Agador was based on a Judy Garland's dresser and Hank Azaria's grandmother. Let's see. Uh, the actors were very aware of potential pitfalls, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Nathan Lane's, let's see, William's history of dance montage was choreographed, but the ending was improvised. Hank Azaria worried about his portrayal of Agador. The birdcage made a few bucks. Let's talk about how much money it went through. And yes, a sequel was actually considered. The Birdcage 2, Starina Rides Again. Oh my god, that would have been so good. But, you know, can't do that now. Anyways. Um, I thought it was a funny film. I saw it several times when it first opened. Uh, it's, it's still one of my most beloved memories of being at the movie theater. With my friend Misty at the Terrace Theater when it first opened. Um... I really enjoyed watching it even today. Doesn't matter how many, I don't care where it's at and I'm watching it. It's like if I'm scanning cross channels and I see it on, I stop and I watch it. I don't care where it's at inside the movie. I do watch it and um, I do love the actors that's played in it. And um, I'm going to give it a four. I love it. I simply love it. There's where we're polar opposites on this one, Chris. Sorry. Yeah, we're. Definitely polar opposites on this one because, like I, I said, it's too. not supposed to be a war, Oscar-winning actors. 
actor performances, so it's not to be taken so seriously. I was just going through this on BuzzFeed. It says, in the movie, Callista Flockhart's character is, quote, not even 18. Flockhart was actually 31 at the time of filming. That would have made um, Diane Weist 47. It did have some Oscar nominees. Um, let's see, nominee, nominee, nominee. It did win a Felix Award for Best Costume Design. And a Felix Best... Uh, okay, didn't win that. It did win an American Comedy Award from Funniest Actor in a Motion Picture, Nathan Lane. It won American Comedy Award for Funniest Supporting Actress in a Motion Picture, Diane Weist. Um, let's see here. Nominee, nominee, nominee. Uh, did win Blockbuster Entertainment Award Favorite Supporting Actor, um, Gene Hackman. And it did win Blockbuster Entertainment Award Favorite Supporting Actress in a Comedy, Diane Weist. Hmm. So they did win some awards with it. Yeah, but like I said, it wasn't. Did, did it win anything from Glad or anything? Glad the advocate out anything like that. Screen here, Screen Actor Guilders, Screen Actors Guild Award, um, act, uh, won the um, outstanding performance by a cast, which was the whole cast won um, uh, the SAG Awards. Um, oh, real quick, just a, another little spoiler here, because this actually happened at the end of the film. So if you don't want to hear, skip ahead about ten seconds, twenty seconds. It says Robin Williams' nickname for Gene Hackman in drag, Betty White on steroids. And you know, actually, when I first saw this movie, I thought Gene Hackman in drag looked like my Aunt Jane. And really? I still see a resemblance there. The, okay, on the Glad Awards, they were a nominee. It's a Glad Award, uh, outstanding film, wide release, was nominated but did not win. So it won quite a, it actually was nominated, but, um, uh, and won some awards, yeah, so I like that, so good for them. So now we're going to go on to Loki? Loki. And as it stands with 22,616 reviews, IMDb has it 9.1 out of 10. On Rotten Tomatoes, the average tomato meter is at 96%. The average audience score is at 87%, which is kind of surprising that a Marvel show is below 90% on the audience score. Um, this is only the first episode, and it's basically the... What is it? The Time Variance Authority has caught Loki and puts him on trial for crimes against the timeline. Uh, Which I think is... Mm, what, it was hard for me to grasp a hold of that. What I am seeing with this series is that Marvel is going to make you have to watch everything. Because what I'm seeing in this looks like they're very much going to play into like Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, the sequel to Doctor Strange. 
And, of course, WandaVision, the post-credits scene, was a tease for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And whereas the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, other than the spoiler, if you call it a spoiler, Falcon becoming Captain America, there's really not a whole lot of story there that I think is going to be very extremely dependent on future Marvel movies. But this series, the way they're dealing with the timeline and everything, I think this series is going to be extremely important to watching the future Marvel films and understanding them. Well, I like what they did with it was um, kind of in the beginning to show how, you know, it was originally the Marvel characters, um, you know, the Hulk and all of them who screwed around with time and got Loki and he was, Loki was standing there and, and had the Tesseract do at his feet. And that's what messed up everything is he bent down and picked it up and then all of a sudden he disappeared. That's where it picked up from. And then that's why uh, they arrested him was because that moment right there because yep. he started screwing around time. And there's a, a final surprise in the end of the episode which we're not going to discuss but the it does actually have something to do with multiple timelines at the end of it and honestly i really enjoyed this episode i thought it was really well done you had to really watch it to follow it you couldn't veer away for one second well I've, i actually re-watched it tonight before we wa we started and, oh, did you? Yeah, just to to pick up anything that I might have missed, and I think I got it all the first time. I didn't really see anything new that I missed the first time around. I did like the DB Cooper scene. I, I yeah. thought that was pretty and and pretty fun. And the the one thing I did see different was the the time loop thing. There's a device that sends them back to where they were. Yeah, they had a remote control going. And I didn't understand how it worked until I watched it the second time, and I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but it made a lot more sense the second time around. But there's still parts of it that I didn't quite get, which I'm sure they'll either explain or not. It doesn't really have to be explained. But Owen Wilson has been very good so far, his character on here. And, of course, his brother Luke... He's on Stargirl, which has had its trailer premiere this week. It's coming back in August, on August 10th. Can't wait. Love me some Stargirl. Remember, we watched it, and you saw that was a good show. Yeah. So you, you really need to finish watching those episodes and then watch this new season coming. Because they're going to... From the, the trailer of Stargirl, the other members of the Justice Society don't want to continue... But Stargirl wants the Justice Society to continue, so... And, of course, it's going to continue, because it has to. And in the trailer for Stargirl, we got a tease of the Green Lantern's daughter, who will be on Stargirl this season. Did not get a tease uh, of the John Wesley ship Flash that's going to be on there, though, but... Have you took a peek, not to change the subject, but have you took a peek at that um, Sweet Tooth on Netflix? I've watched the first two. It's from DC Comics. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. 
So what do you think about it? It's not a superhero show. It's not supposed to be. Oh, I know it's not. So, but it's it's. See, it's I was going to choose that to do, like in the next week or so. But, but anyway, as far as Loki, there's not a whole lot you can say on this one without giving everything away. So I don't want to review too much on it. But is it enjoyable? Oh, definitely. Like I said, I do believe this one is going to be extremely important moving forward with the MCU. Which could be a very bad thing for Marvel. Because if they keep making it... And I understand having everything connected as part of one thing. But that's where DC has the advantage. You can watch the stuff on TV and not have to watch it for the films. Or you can watch the stuff on TV and not have to watch the films for the stuff on TV. So you don't have to watch everything. So it's, I can see the advantage and the disadvantage of it. Either one, you don't have the money to watch everything. Or two, you get your people to watch everything because it's all connected. Oh my god. What? It says to promote the show, General Mills and Marvel announced that they would release 3,500 boxes, especially branded boxes of Lucky Charms, the serial called Loki Charms, on the same day the series released on Wednesday, June the 9th. Uh, I hadn't paid any attention, but I didn't see them. Dude, I'm going straight to eBay. I'm going to see this. Yeah. But Lucky I'm... Charms. You know that's going to be cool. According to IMDb, this is only going to be six episodes because Tom Hiddleston is Loki in six episodes. Uh, there's one, two, three, four, five listed here that are in six episodes, two that are listed in five, and then one in two, and the rest of them, well, no, there's another two, but most of them are one or two episodes other than the the five and six episodes. So, definitely only going to be five or six episodes long. And that's another plus, because we've talked about that in the past, where Marvel runs a 13-hour movie instead of a 13-episode series. And so, yeah. Yeah, I've seen the picture before. Paul's sitting there showing me the picture of the Loki charms. I've seen it before. But, and then his phone beeps. Oh, sorry. But, but that's only six... Oh, that's a refrigerator magnet. Oh, I want those Lucky Charms. Oh, here's the Lucky Charms. Actual cereal box. Still, it's the same. And... Um, also, in Loki, the, the Miss Minutes character is voiced by Tara Strong who has an extensive background in voice work. She was Batgirl and Barbara Gordon in Batman the Killing Joke animated film. She was Raven on the Teen Titans Go, Teen Titans Go See Space Jam. She was Batgirl in DC Superhero Girls. I believe she played Harley Quinn at one point as well, as well as saw voices on Animaniacs and such. I'm trying to get down here to it, because she's got a ton of voice work on here. Guardians of the Galaxy TV series, she was Nova Prime. 
DC Superhero Girl, she was Harley Quinn and Raven. Family Guy, she was all kinds of different voices on there. Where, oh where is it? Justice League Action Shorts, she did Kid, Harley Quinn, and Lois Lane voices. I'm trying to find them all. Batman Arkham Underworld, she was Harley Quinn. Let's just scroll down to the 90s and see what I can find. Because, I mean, there's tons of voice work, but I'm pretty sure she was on Animaniacs. And I'm just scrolling and scrolling, trying to get there. Came to the Hill, she was in several episodes. The Justice League animated series, she was Queen in the Wild Cards episode, and Sierra in Twilight Part 2. Uh, Batman Mystery of the Batwoman video release, she was Barbara Gordon. She was Barbara Gordon and Batgirl in the video game Batman Rise of Sin Tzu. Gotham Girls, she was Barbara Gordon and Batgirl, so she's played Barbara Gordon quite a bit. Voice in Powerpuff Girls. Clark's animated series she was on. So tons and tons of voice work from her. But I'm still trying to find the new Batman Adventures. She was Batgirl, Barbara Gordon, Christine, and others. 101 Dalmatians, the series. She played three different spot, Two-Tone and Vendilla. Extreme Ghostbusters, X-Men, the animated series. I'm just not seeing Animaniacs, but I thought she did voices for the Animaniacs. Unless I just skipped past it. Anyway, she's got a ton of voice work to her credit. All kinds of good stuff that she performed. And she's Miss Minutes in Loki. Which was the little animated clock. So, that was a, a plus for me, honestly. But as far as this episode, it's looking strong. I think it's going to be a good series. And like I said, going to be very important to the future of Marvel films, especially Doctor Strange and the, the Multiverse of Madness. So, drawback, positive, however you want to look at it. It's definitely going to be very inclusive, it looks like. And just judging by this episode, I'm going to give it three and three quarter stars out of five. Because it's got a strong start, but there's room to improve. I really like that. I was kind of bummed out a little bit that they had that car around him and it was really controlling him or he couldn't really like use his powers and stuff. Well, the color it's didn't like do that. IMD. Uh, the color had nothing to do with him not being able to use his powers, though. I thought it did. Nope. Oh, he couldn't use his powers because he's in that place. That's right. But, um, anyways, I was kind of bummed out about that, but whenever he figured out how to finagle that collar off of him and put it on the, the other guy and start time-twisting him back and forth, I loved that. That was really cool. So, anyways, I love that he did that, but... Anyway, I enjoyed it. 
can't wait to see what it's going to be next week. Um, watch it again this week. And um, I'm going to give it with three and three quarter stars as well. I'm going to be with Chris. And, and that pretty much brings us to the end of the show this week. Any final words? No, I saw where we hit a milestone of 600,000 people dead now. And um, uh, they, people are continuing to die, and the um, vaccination rate has tanked big time. And um, I saw they did a local interview in Taylorsville, and um, it looked like they were this one drugstore is going to have to throw away several hundred doses of the Pfizer vaccine but they found out that it was still usable for 18 weeks so they still have a couple more weeks to use it before they have to throw it away and they're begging people to come in and get shots well, unfortunately they won't because no. Taylorsville is in the middle of a Republican stronghold right there in the center of a red county it's... and again why do you listen to your politicians instead of science if you're in a bad car wreck you want the ER doctor working on you not Donald Trump or Joe Biden, or anybody else for that matter. It's You want someone who is trained and able, as opposed to someone who spouts off at the mouth with things they think they know. Yep. So, anyway, I don't get it. And honestly, I wish they would require it for hospitals, that if you work in a hospital, you are required to get the vaccination. But they don't require you? Nope. They, because it's emergency use, the law will not do it. But I think they should. I think it should be mandatory for everyone. I know that the hospital in Houston did require it. And the way I understood it was the workers there signed off on it and now they have over a hundred people in a lawsuit against them. For requiring the vaccine. Well, you're healthcare oh, well. workers. You should your see the need for idiots. this. So, People are so fucking stupid. But, but as long as we have people saying, oh, the masks don't work, blah, 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 it's not going to matter. Yeah. Now, I've personally told my story that right before Christmas, the weekend before, I did not have any symptoms. When I saw my brother and his family, I insisted we all wear masks just because we didn't know. That night I started showing symptoms. That Monday I was tested. That Thursday, I believe it was, came back. Or maybe Saturday because it was Christmas was on Friday. And I got the results. I was positive as I knew I would be. And my brother and his family, not one of them, contracted it. So wearing did the mask you? did work. Did you, I forget, Chris, you're not going to remind me, did you have a really bad fever at the very beginning? Yes, I did. About 103. That's why mine was, too. Okay. But, anyways. But, anyways, we could continue talking about that again forever, and still people won't listen, so it doesn't matter. But, hopefully, we can beat this and move on, because it's not going away... One in less than 560 U.S. citizens have died. So when you look at it like yeah. that, some people have more Facebook friends than 560. Oh, really, really quick. Um, I did a funeral home.
song this week for a gentleman from Michigan in the funeral home. Oh, by the way, when I say I did a funeral home, it's the furniture for the funeral home and the chapel and everything this week. And it ended up being a very good order. But anyways, um, he told me last year the facility that I'm doing, he normally does 650 funerals. Last year, he did 920 funerals at that one facility. That's a lot. And he said it's it's the busiest he's been in ever. He said he said it's he's got three funeral homes in Michigan, and people still won't listen. So, nope. But but anyways, we will continue with our pride tribute next week because I am making Paul watch Tales of the City, the original series, for next week. He's only been told for like three months that this is coming, so the slacker that he is hadn't watched it yet, so he's going to be watching it for next week. I will. And then Paul will have whatever he chooses, but that's it, so until next week, goodbye everybody. Goodbye.